Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter podcast, the post-draft episode of the Adam Schefter podcast, back from Cleveland, and we'll be joined today by ESPN draft analysts Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay as they take you through the winners of the 2021 NFL Draft as well of some of the details of their personal lives. But I think when we look back on this past week, it's all about the quarterbacks in the draft, but the story continues to be the veteran quarterbacks at the NFL level. We started the offseason talking about Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, and Russell Wilson, and we will continue to talk about Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, and Russell Wilson. They're storylines that don't threaten to go away anytime soon that could last all the way into and beyond training camp, and there's none bigger right now than the Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. And right now, it looks like he wants out of Green Bay. And it looks like he wants the Packers to be the bad guy. And he wants the Packers to be the ones that go and trade him. And in talking to various people about this situation for weeks, and it has been going on for weeks, I think it's a situation where at some point in time, Aaron Rodgers is going to have to be willing to get some mud on him. And I think the mud will wash off in the shower over time. Look at how Green Bay feels about Brett Favre now, and he played for the Minnesota Vikings. But this is not going to be a pretty process to go through if Aaron Rodgers ultimately is going to get what he wants, which is not to play again in Green Bay. Either he's going to have to be forceful with the organization, demand a trade, tell them he's not coming in, be open to the idea of telling them he'll retire, maybe make a public statement, whatever it may be. But he can't get what he wants, I don't think, by acting passive aggressive here and letting the Green Bay Packers come off as the bad guy. Because the fact of the matter is the relationship has deteriorated. He wants out. And now we'll see how he decides to play it. But clearly this is an issue that's gone on for weeks. To me, frankly, it's amazing that it's gone on as long as it has. And there are people who said, oh, Aaron Rodgers wanted this story out the Thursday before the draft. Let me tell you something. Aaron Rodgers had nothing to do with this story coming out the Thursday before the draft. Not only did he have nothing to do with this story coming out the Thursday before the draft, but my understanding is he was none too pleased about the story coming out because all it did was shine a light on the relationship between the two sides, which is at best strained right now. But Aaron Rodgers didn't want this coming out. And guess what? The Green Bay Packers didn't want it coming out. There are people who think the Packers planted it. Baloney. The fact of the matter is this had gone on for so long. And when the story came out that the Niners had called the Packers the night before the draft, in my mind, the rest of the details were going to come out. It was only a matter of time when. And it didn't matter whether they came out the day of the draft, the week after the draft, or the month after the draft. The situation was not changing. It was going to be what it was, which is where the Packers are talking about trying to bring him back and the Packers president, Mark Murphy, wants him back and the GM, Brian Gutekunst, wants him back and the head coach, Matt LaFleur, wants him back. They all want him back. It almost sounded like they were begging to him over the weekend, pleading with him, come back to Green Bay. But guess what? They've been doing that all during the offseason and it hasn't changed Aaron Rodgers' mind yet and we don't know when it will. The other quarterback situation going on was Deshaun Watson. And I think it's easy to forget that this offseason opened 
with Deshaun Watson telling the Houston Texans he didn't want to play there anymore. He wanted to move on, didn't want to be a part of the Texans organization. And we forget that now because of the 22 civil suits that are pending against pending against Deshaun Watson and the civil litigation that's out there with the inappropriate conduct and the allegations of sexual assault that are still out there where we don't know how the NFL will act. We don't know how legal authorities will act, but that situation is completely unsettled. But to me, when the Houston Texans use their first pick in the draft on a team with many holes on a quarterback, that tells you that they're not planning as if Deshaun Watson will be there very long, because there's no way that that's the place you look if you are confident that Deshaun Watson is going to be back in Houston. And whether that's what he wants or they want or whoever, clearly there are doubts and there is skepticism about Deshaun Watson continuing on in Houston. Maybe he'll be able to get these outstanding cases settled at some point in time. Maybe they'll continue to go on. Maybe he'll encounter problems. Maybe he won't. But clearly his future in Houston looks on the rocks at best. And then, of course, Russell Wilson, that situation unfolded over the weekend where Pete Carroll came out and said that they've patched things up. And I don't know if they've patched things up so much as the fact that right now it's hit an impasse at this point in time. But Pete Carroll said, and I quote, we've had many conversations as we've ever had. We talked extensively throughout the offseason. We worked our way through whatever was at hand at this point in time. And he was asked whether Wilson was given more personnel input as he requested. Carroll said no. And then he said, Russ is in a great place right now. He's been in a great place throughout the offseason. We have communicated throughout all the things, just like I always have. This is not any different than it's always been. And then in The Athletic, which posted some of these quotes, it said, this story will be updated. I shared this with somebody, and they said that the most true statement in that particular exchange was that, quote, unquote, this story will be updated. So in other words, we haven't heard the last of that situation. It's quiet now. It's settled now. Russell Wilson's going to play for the Seahawks this season. But as the Athletics said, this story will be updated, as will the one involving Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. All right, before we get into today's episode, I have a few things I need to tell you. First off, the NBA season's in full swing, and who better to give you all your NBA insider information than my friend, ESPN NBA expert Adrian Wojnarowski and the Woj Pod. Love the Woj Pod. Be sure to download and follow the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Also, ESPN Films' latest documentary, 144, executive produced by ESPN Radio and First Take, Her Take podcast host, as well as Current WNBA player Shanae Agumake takes viewers inside the WNBA's unprecedented 2020 season. Four months after the WNBA postponed its season due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the league set out to play a condensed season entirely in a bubble where 144 players across 12 teams not only came together to play basketball, but also to dedicate their season to social justice. 144 will premiere May 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. The film will be available on ESPN Plus immediately after its premiere. Now back to this week's podcast and this week's guests, my friends, my colleagues, the incomparable Mel Kuyper Jr., who is a legend in the draft business, and my dear friend and colleague, Todd McShay as well. Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay. 
All right, gentlemen, I want to thank you guys for joining me after an incredibly busy weekend, your busiest weekend of the year. We are now post-draft. And before we get into who won, who lost, the wins, the losses, all that stuff like that, I've got sources who tell me that you guys have had dinner together one time, only one time Once. in your careers for all you've worked together, one dinner together. Are you kidding me? Shefty, Kuiper won't break bet. He won't break bread with me. He just won't do it. I ask him every year, you know, most years we're up in Bristol for the pre-draft process and I'm always carting him around, picking him up, driving him over to, to campus, <laughs> driving him back. And I'm always, do you want to have dinner? No, 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 no. I'm excited. I'm going back. I'm going to get pizza. I'm going to take the cheese <laughs> off. I'm going to put mashed potatoes on top of the pizza, <laughs> but I don't want to do it with you. I want to do it alone. <laughs> what, what is that about? Adam. The reason why I do that is because when I get back to the room, I have to do either radio.com. There's something, well, Todd knows this very well, that we're not allowed to have the evenings off to just go to dinner for two, three hours and relax and watch the baseball game in April. It might be up there on the screen in a bar or restaurant, wherever. So you have to prepare for the next morning. So to go to dinner and have two, three hours, wherever it may be, it would be nice to do. We did do it once in Bristol, Todd, remember? It was yeah, early years. Early years, we went. I don't know how we did it, but we snuck out and had a nice – I think Chris Sproul was involved in that, wasn't he? Yeah, we had to have editors set it up so that you actually would come come out of your shell right. and go into public with me and right. eat some food. <laughs> Wait, so that was the only time that you guys have ever had dinner together in Bristol? We've been together for 14 years, 14 or 15 years, since 2006. One time, and I forget – we didn't go to a good place. It was some hey, lousy hey, I place. Could, I could also flip that, Adam, and say Todd's never had dinner with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he said I've had dinner with him. I, when has he had time? When he had, he doesn't have time to do any of this stuff either. You know, it's not like he's <laughs> over there. I was kidding him about going on vacation, walking the sidelines every Saturday, doing football, enjoying his weekend away. But you know, he's always busy too. So you know, it's like we we constantly and, and, and you remember that. Remember, well, we're together, Adam. Keep this in perspective, everybody. When we're together. It's in April. April, come on. When are we going to have time in April to be spending a couple hours at dinner? Well, so, Todd, did I hear you say that Mel takes the cheese off his pizza and slathers potatoes on top of his pizza? Did I hear that correctly, Todd? Yeah, I, I, I know his wife, Kim, is listening right now, so I, I feel badly <laughs> I feel badly letting the, the cat out. She knows it here. all, Todd, believe me. All right, because I remember you saying – I really, you know, I, Kim shouldn't. Kim doesn't want me to eat like this. But I get away, I get away from home, and he loves for some reason. I want you to really think about this. He goes yes. to a hotel room. It's the the Embassy Suites right near uh, right near um, campus. He goes to the hotel room. He he always raves about the pizza, but then he takes the cheese off of it, which means he's eliminating most of the, the red sauce, right? And and then he puts he gets a side of mashed potatoes. And puts puts the mashed potatoes on. Listen, I know the draft is a marathon, but you don't have to carb load like that. <laughs> well, I don't. It doesn't take most of the sauce off. By the way, it does leave some on. But to make a long story short, there's method to the madness because that's a quick way to eat and then get ready for a radio show or a .com thing. Because I don't have a lot of time to fool around. I don't want to get anything that's cumbersome, so I do it an easy way where I combine it all together and I'm done. And I also get one of those, what do you have, those chocolate, the uh, exploding yeah. chocolate? The, the, yeah. the cookies, right? Yeah, no, one of those things that explodes, whatever. But yeah, oh, I do that. Yeah, yeah. I think 
it's, it's the Radisson up there. It's the recliner. What's it? The Radisson in Bristol? Whatever it is, that's where the I double stay. Double trick. The double trick. Oh, double, double, double trick. Sorry, double trick. Right. Yeah, double right, trick. Double yeah. trick. There you yeah. go. And they have great pizza. So if I, I would advise. How would you know if it's great pizza, pizza if you take the, if you take <laughs> cheese off of it? <laughs> I love you, Kuiper. You're, you're one of a kind, man. Uh, <laughs> when you say Mel is one of a kind, someone was pointing out to me that Steve Serby did a Q&A with Mel yep. Kuiper and pointed out that Mel. Wait, what is this? There, there's a bunch of uh things that you are a creature of habit about, right? Can, can you take me through some of those? Like you, you tape a certain TV show and watch the episodes at a certain time. Like, give me some of the habits. Well, I'll, I'll prove. I'll show, as I was growing up, I watched Dallas. I love JR, South Fork, Jock Ewing, the Ewing family, all that, right? That started, I think, in 1978 in that area. So I, I was one. What's that? I was one year old. Yes, you were. You were, you were one when I was doing a lot of things, Todd. And, uh, it started, and actually, that was actually the first year I put out a draft report. Can you believe that? When Todd was one. But anyway, that was the years with the Dallas. And then Johnny Carson, the Tonight Show, was a huge fan. 11.30 every night. They'll go to bed with Johnny, after Johnny Carson's show was over. Loved that. So Kim got me DVDs of Dallas and the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So what I do, 11.30 at night, watch Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Every Friday at, at 9 o'clock, watch Dallas. So I got the DVDs, and I go through the seasons, and I you know, Keep it running. And yeah, that's what I do. So I'll, I will have proof positive that that's what I do. And here, let me show you here. Here we go. I got my assistant bringing me in. Look, See? <laughs> Dallas, the Dallas, the Dallas, Dallas here. Oh my, every Friday, Mel, every Friday night we're watching Dallas. Yes. What's, what's better than doing that? Like you, you, you kind of, look, who's better? And I always say, what is one thing that, that, that uh, Jock Ewing told Bobby Ewing? Patrick Duffy one there. He said he was all about giving power, taking power. I always tell you this. The greatest advice Jock Ewing ever gave Bobby. He said, well, you're, you're going to give me the powers when JR had an issue. You're going to give me the power. He said, son, I don't have to. I shouldn't have to give you power. You take power. Power is something you take. And I never, that was a great comment, right? You don't give power to somebody. You take it. And that's what you got to do. I always told Mick Shea that. Take the power. <laughs> take and he did. Yeah. Oh, I love it. My, my other... The other thing that I love, Shefty, the other thing I love about Kuiper, he, he's never – I think he said in this article, because I, I heard Mike Greenberg talking about it, and I've known this for years. I don't think he's ever had a debit card. He's never no. written a check and basically no. gets an no, allowance from Kim. So, like, hey, if I need money, I just go to Kim. Right. That's true, right? <laughs> Very true. Well, so, 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 wait, hold on. So no debit card, no cash. Kim is your sugar daddy? She, she basically gives you need money, she gives you – she gives you cash? Sugar mama. <laughs> if, I, I always tell people, I'd love to, if you need a McShay or you need a, need a loan for however much money, I'd love to give it to you, but I don't know how to get it. That's, <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> can you, I mean, in this day and age, can you imagine? What can I say? It's the truth. Well, well, you know, and again, so, and you you have your piece of pumpkin pie every day, right? That's also a... Oh, I got it right in there right now. Let me, uh, hey, hold on one sec. Hold on one sec. <laughs> <laughs> this is beautiful. He's going to get it. So I want to know like where he gets the pumpkin pie every day, has the same pumpkin pie. He's getting it from his chair in his house. I got to get play by play about yep. Mel Kuyper in his house. Here, there it is. Let me open it for you. Where well, do you get it? Where do you get it from? Well, but pumpkin pie, fat free, see fat free whipped cream. I say fat free whipped cream. There's a fat free. And one and the one mistake the mistake that Todd made when we had oh, he brought I'll me a pumpkin pie. Down. Jess Krause and everybody bought me a brought me a pumpkin pie up to the set a few years ago. I don't know where we were. So Todd 
Chicago, you got this great looking pumpkin yep. pie, takes the whipped cream and sprays it all over the top of the pumpkin pie. Mistake he made was, see, this is fat free. Fat free will melt away in seconds. It's not regular. It's not that thick. So you got it. What you do with this, when you eat it, you, you take a little bit of pumpkin pie, you spray, eat, spray, eat. You don't spray it all over. You got to spray when you want the little you got to have a system and, a, and a, a method to the madness when you eat pumpkin pie with fat free. Can I tell you something, system. Adam? Let me tell you something. And, and this is this is the honest to God's truth. We've gotten in huge fights over players on, on the air. I mean, like yelling at each other to the point where producers have called after and said, hey, you know, like, let, let's back it down a little bit. You guys got but this the second that a fight is done on air. Like, you know, he'll call me or we'll be on, online talking to each other. And he's, he's totally fine. I'm totally fine. It's like two friends at a bar having a fight, right? I mean, nobody knows how to put my buttons like McShabby. Yeah, he knows how to. And he, he did it. He did it on a draft. He had, you had me really a little ticked off the other day. Um, about, I had to throw my pen. I had, throw, I had my pen. I said, I, I, I scout those diagonal uh, place kickers. Yeah, he told me, how, how, he said, you when you're watching a football game, sure, I'm watching the place kickers, the punters. I'm watching a game. He's like, I just got Evan McPherson. I like Evan McPherson. So, again, he knows how to just – he always brings up something else about something. But, no, but the, the only time, Kuiper, the only time in commercial where you actually looked at me and I, and I thought to myself, wow, he's still pissed, <laughs> was when I sprayed – that whipped cream all over your pumpkin pie. You were still like it, it lasted like five minutes. It became unedible, if that's a word. You couldn't you couldn't touch it, just ruined the whole pie. <laughs> no, do you ever do you, do you ever mix in a piece of pecan pie or chocolate chip pie? Like, I mean, do you ever get bored of it? No. No. Never. No. Mm-hmm. No. You know what I do make? I make I make low fat brownies. Ooh. Really? That- I like Smith Island cake too, which is just down here on Ken Island. Smith Island cake. It's like pound cake with a, it's a layer of pound cake, layer of chocolate. We keep layering it all the way up and it's called Smith Island cake. It's unbelievable. Um, Stan- I would pay money to see Kuiper baking. Could, could, could Smith Island cake ever supplant pumpkin pie as no, the go-to no, 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 regular no. daily no. milk Kuiper delicacy? Never. No, no, no. That's way too rich. Really? <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Todd, uh, do you have anything in your life that you're that committed to on a day-to-day basis aside from your wife and family? No. No, I mean... Nothing. My, my wife loves coffee, so my daily routine, routine is I, I wake up, I make the kids breakfast, I make the kids lunch, I bring them to school. Because then my wife normally has to handle the afternoons, the pickup and all that. I go and pick her up a cup of coffee... And I get either a breakfast sandwich or some kind of breakfast from the same spot, but it's never pumpkin pie. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Uh, All right. Uh, let's, let's go on to the uh, pumpkin pie winners of the 2021 NFL draft. <laughs> Mel, who are your winners from this past weekend? If you could just give me a few, either it's a team or a player or somebody that you feel like did really well. Well, first of all, I have to give myself a bad grade for the grade show because what I did, I made a, yeah, I was doing this driving back from Cleveland. It was really late time. We finished day three, right? Yep. I went back to the, we came out of the car. We got in the truck. We're coming home. We're rolling back from Cleveland. Who drove? At two, Who three, drove? Jim did. Who do you think? I, after day, after, after, I drove, I drove from here. To, hey, wait a minute, Adam. <laughs> I drove from here to Cleveland entirely. Okay. I drove from here to Cleveland on Tuesday. 
Okay. I, but after day three, Adam, I got up. Todd knows how many times I get out of that chair on day three, Todd. I heard once or twice, but, I, but that once might or be twice. It. I just got up. I just actually stood up. And that was, I went, I, I paid the price yesterday because I had cramp after cramp in my, wow. in my leg. It was terrible. But let me, I let me, driven back. let me tell you a funny story, Kite. I, uh -oh. so I, I've been flying since I was like eight months old. Both my parents work for Delta Airlines, right? I have never been able to sleep on a plane in my life, ever, ever. I, yesterday from Cleveland to Boston, I get a tap on my shoulder. It's the flight attendant. And he, sa he says, Mr. McShay, Mr. McShay, we're here. We landed. 150 other passengers had, had deboarded the plane. I'm looking around. There are, there are people in there cleaning, you know, like they come in with the bags. Oh my God. The, the cleaning crew was in the plane. I slept that wow. long and that hard. That's <laughs> unbelievable. That's day three for you. That's day yep. three. So to answer your question, Adam and Todd, I was no way I was driving. But to go back to your original point, I was kind of losing a little bit. I gave the Giants a B plus. It didn't factor in as much the 2022 first, the trading down yep. twice, yet getting a guy like Kadarius Tony and Aziz Ojolari. So I gave them a B plus. I shortchanged the Giants and Dave Gellin. I should have given the Giants an A. So when you ask me who the teams I thought had the best draft, based on our ratings, that's all we go by, would be Miami, the L.A. Chargers, the New York Giants, and the New York Jets. Those were the, the fad four of 2021, in my opinion. I, I loved what the Jets did, too. I, I really did. I mean, you know, they, they, they targeted Zach Wilson for the last couple months, and they, they thought he was going to be the guy, and then they made the decision to, to move Sam Darnold. They have 20 picks. Joe Douglas has basically kind of deconstructed the roster to get draft capital to construct the roster the way he wants to and the way the organization wants to. And they, so they get the quarterback of the future. They know that they have 20 picks in a two year span. So let's utilize a little bit of that capital to move up and go get an offensive lineman that's going to protect Wilson so that we can do for Wilson what the previous regime never really did for Sam Darnold and protect him up front, especially in the middle. Then Sometimes you got you to be lucky to be good, right? And, and they got Elijah Moore, who Mel and I both had first-round grades on. The wide receiver from Ole Miss falls to, to pick 34 overall. And then they got another weapon in Michael Carter, mm. who's a really good third down back, the UNC running back. So their first four – I mean, their whole draft, but the first four picks, I really think set up their, their organization for success moving forward. Mel, you brought up the Dolphins, the Chargers, the Giants, and who was the fourth team you said? Dolphins, Chargers, Giants, and Jets. And the Jets. Give me something that stood out to you about the Dolphins in a nutshell, the Chargers in a nutshell, and the Jets in a nutshell. The other teams. Well, for Miami, I think just the way they let, they lined it up. They, they, they needed to fill a couple areas. And if you look at Miami did, they got they helped Tua with Jalen Waddell. They helped Tua with Liam Eikenberg and an underrated guy, Todd. We had talked about Larnell Coleman at UMass as a chance to be a bookend. And they added Hunter Long to be the second tight end with Gasicki. So they attacked the offense to help Tua, but they also got Jalen Phillips, the best pass rusher in this draft. They also got Javon Holland, one of the more versatile defensive backs, who people really forget. In 2018-2019, he had, what, nine picks. He was all over the field. He opted out. So I thought they did really well in the Chargers to get Slater, then Asante Samuel Jr. I like Chris Rump II as a guy who can bend off the edge. I thought the Chargers and Tom Telesco lined it up. I mentioned Todd talked about the Jets. Love what the Giants did. Those were the four, I think, that jumped out. And of course, my Baltimore Ravens, another solid overall B-plus grade for Eric DaCosta, their outstanding GM. It, it was an excellent draft. You know what the highlight of my draft was? What's that? Riding over, riding over to the draft on Saturday 
with Mel, we had to talk about people, just the nature of people. Right, Mel? Mm -hmm. And we talked about how important it is to have integrity Mm -hmm. and honorable people and people who do right and people who don't do right. And honestly, that was a really cool talk, Mel. I want to thank you for that time. That was awesome. Just to give scouting reports on the human nature of people, right? Yeah, yeah I think it's true. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with never, I'd say, lie to people about things, never try to mislead people uh, about anything. Um, if you have something to say, it's not to say, I don't want to talk about that. I can't talk about that. But don't, don't throw somebody in the wrong direction purposely. And, uh, and just you know, be whoever you are. If they like it, they like it. They don't, they don't. But to me, I think this, in this business, you get so much that's, I mean, and we all get it, where people call and they have different agendas mm-hmm. and they try to create different narratives. And I always, you always say, Todd, at the end of your lifetime, if you have five, you can count your, your true friends on one hand and consider yourself lucky. So it is really true. And I think luckily in this business with you guys, all the two people, Adam and, and Todd, who are good friends of mine that you, you trust with anything you say, we have fun back and forth. The, the crazy part is with Todd and I, Adam, and I don't know, Todd, people think I, they think I hate, right. they, you got to hate it. I, I went on a college campus with kids and they're telling me I hate me. And I said, Todd's a friend. You're full. Of, I know you hate him. I know you got to say that. You really, you, you really honestly hate him. Right. I, I know. And I said, no, 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 no. You're the same way. I know you hate him, but we're good. We're good. But I know, I know publicly you can't say that. I, at least they want to believe that we, I guess that that's what they want to believe. You can't talk. You can't even tell them the truth and they won't. So again, that's what we put. Todd's right. When we go at it, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's never contrived. I don't, we don't no. go in saying you say this, I'll say that. We, we, I don't even know what Todd's going to say. He doesn't know what I'm going to say. He doesn't know my, now I know a lot about what he does is I'll ask, when we're doing dot com, I'll say, okay, when we're doing shows, we have to prepare. Where's Todd have who? And that's where I remember. And a lot of times, I'll remember Todd's <laughs> stuff more than Todd. He does. does. He does. That's when scary. I tell him, he said, like, "No, I didn't." I said, "Yeah, you did. Go back to the tape." He doesn't even remember what the heck he said. What he had a rating. I can tend to remember crazy stuff like that, where you know. But at the end of the day, that's all we know when we go into stuff. We don't go in with any ideas about what we're going to do or not. Let do. me say this to Adam. As much as I jab Kuiper, and we we go back and forth. I'm not, I'm not sitting here today and I don't have the career that I have today if, if it wasn't for Mel. And I've said this before and I'll, I'll continue to say it. He, first of all, to have the, the confidence when, when producers started coming to him and saying, hey, we're going to bring on this young punk named Todd McShay who's going to come <laughs> go back and forth and all that. And, and he was just, great. That'll be fun. Yeah, let's do it. He never, he never batted an eye. And beyond that, you know, he was the one who promoted, was promoting me to executives to get on the, the first night of the, the draft to get a, first of all, to get on the third day and then the second day and then the first night of the draft. So he's, he's been in my corner the whole time. Yes, we go at it. It's all genuine. But it, it, like I said before, it's like, you know, two friends at, at a bar just kind of going back and forth on players. But uh, but Mel has been he's been in my corner the whole time. Thank you for that. But I, I got to tell one quick story, Adam. We were, we're sitting at the draft years ago, and you would all know and are good for Gary Horton, great guy. Well, <laughs> Gary's sitting there with me at the draft, and we're just sitting there relaxing. Why I was, I think it was the day before, and we were just doing a sports center cut in, and we're sitting back there. He said, Let me let me play let me play a joke one time. <laughs> so he decides he, he decides to call I Todd. This. I didn't know what he was gonna do. He said, I'm gonna play a joke one time. I'm sitting next to Gary, go, Todd, I tell you, 
Kuiper's really, really, I mean, he, he's ready to kill you. I mean, he's going to go to management. He's, he's really upset with whatever you just said. You really offended him. And he's going to, and Todd's like, well, I don't know. What did I do, Gary? What did I do? Gary's like playing along. I'm listening to this. I'm thinking, what is he doing? What is he doing? So he he was telling you, that was Gary trying to play the oh He passed, God, he so passed the phone over. Not, I, don't, I don't know. What did I do? What did I do? Is he really upset? Like, yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that like this before. Oh, oh no. I'm like 27 years old at the time. I'm like, I'm going to lose my job. It's the day before the draft. I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> uh, you got me on that one. <laughs> you guys have gotten along great. You just haven't gone to dinner very right. much. But, you know, as I'm watching you guys on Friday and or Saturday together, the thought occurred to me, if you'll allow me, I think that your relationship is a little bit like mine and Mort's because Mel has been nurturing to you, Todd, the way that Mort has been nurturing to me. And if Mel had resisted your arrival yeah. or not embraced you, then you wouldn't be in the spot you are today in much the same way that if Mort hadn't welcomed me aboard and embraced me, then I might not be in the position I am today. And there's something there to these legends, Morton yep. and Mel, kind of giving us their blessing, which I believe ties back to the conversation that Mel and I had on the ride over to the draft the other day, which talks about people. If you weren't the guy you were, he wouldn't be like that. He wouldn't be endorsing you the way that he does. I totally agree. Yeah, I don't understand. I really, Todd, I don't understand how people don't. I mean, everybody does what they want to do. But for me, it was like, I always, I never wanted to be the final say on a draft pick and the analysis of that pick. And I know Mort always felt the same way. So to have Todd come along, and at the time, I didn't know Todd could have, Todd could have been it. But then to get to know him and know how passionate he is and what a great guy he is and all this, then it made it easier. But at the beginning, I didn't care it could have been anybody. I just wanted to have somebody else with an opinion that wasn't in the league as a player or coach that did what Todd and I do. And it was perfect because he came along and then I had that. So it wasn't just me and he would have a different opinion. He would look at things differently and it was great. So and now we have Matt Miller coming along. Jim Maggie's here. But yeah, and now we have millions of people all over the country. People ask me, what do you, what do you have to say about this? When back in the day, Todd wasn't even born yet, probably, like you just said, or you're very young in kindergarten, and I'm, I'm getting negative articles about the draft put on my desk. Oh, what Kuiper's an idiot. Why does anybody <laughs> cover the draft? Get a real job. What, why are you wasting your time watching this garbage? The article after article. Or, I mean, it was one, It was for years from the time I started till my, I don't even, mid-90s maybe. I don't know when it was where it started to kind of turn a little bit. I think the internet turned it because now fans were getting these mock drafts. And they were all over the internet with their ratings and predictions. And then everybody, all the negative people had to, had to buy in because you better jump on this bandwagon or you're going to be left off. And that's what I think happened. So I just think the, the, the word I use, and I think I used it with Steve Serby, Adam and Todd, how do you feel after 43 years and seeing where the draft is extravaganza it is? It's rewarding because at the end of the day, to battle through all that adversity, all that negativity, all that hate, to get to this point where everybody kind of celebrates these three days is pretty amazing. And that's why I tell people all day, believe in what you believe in. Don't let people talk you out of it. Don't let people try to make you feel like you shouldn't be doing that. If you believe in it, tell them to just shut up. <laughs> I'm doing what I'm doing. You do what you want to do. I'm doing what I want to do. And we'll see where this goes, you know? But Todd, just like Mel handled it the right way, I also would say that there's a certain way coming up that somebody who's trying to break in or land at a certain spot should be handling it. The person should be deferential, respectful, mm -hmm. respectful complimentary, yep. right? And, and I'd like to think that you were that way with Mel 
I know I was that way with Mort, and I would bet that that has contributed to being where you are today. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't have this career if Mel didn't start this whole thing, really, right? I mean, Mel, for, what is it, 43 years ago, Mel? You started this mm-hmm. thing, and, and it's, it's erupted into this massive scene. I mean, if, if you haven't been to an NFL draft, the last few years, I mean, obviously last year was virtual, but this year in Cleveland, Nashville, Philadelphia, Chicago, like the scenes, the thousands and thousands of people there. It was raining. And they said there were around 50,000 people in in Cleveland on Thursday night. It was freezing and raining Um, just to see what it's developed into. I have a great deal of of respect. Respect's the right word. I have a great deal of respect and admiration for, for what Mel did in order to develop it to where it is today. And he just said it. And he just said, I'm 40, I'm, I've been doing this for 43 years. How old are you, Todd? I'm 44. Same, I mean, right, right, right in line. I'll be going into year 44. He's 44. We're going into year 44. It all, all makes sense. He's going into year 44. That's what I, he's going. He's going for. Um, that's all ties together. 44 for both of us. I've been in the business that long. And that's how old Todd is. So how old were you mailing into your first NFL draft? Oh, uh, when I covered the draft for the first time, I was 17. Oh, no, it should be 18, 18, 18. It was a 79 draft. I would have been 18 when the draft took place. How'd you get, how'd you get, you've told me that, was it Ernie Accorsi? Yeah, I met Ernie, I met Ernie when I was 16 at a Colt camp and I got to know Ernie really well, went to all the training camps, was putting out, I would give him my former GM. I would write down a lot of notes and I'd hand them to Ernie and he would read the notes and would talk and whatever. And then in 1977, 70, or excuse me, 78 season, 79 draft, I started to put out the reports and I sent them out. And Ernie said, hey, you know, it, you know send them to all the teams, send them to every, all the writers, everybody covers the draft. And I did with a cover letter and said, if you have any suggestions or any ways to improve it, let me know. Got all these letters back from coaches and GMs. And then I started to make it to the, available to the public in 1981. And then that was the first year available to actually to the public. And that was the year. And, then, and Ernie offered me a job with the Colts in 83. And that's when the Colts were leaving and whatever. It should be 84. And that's when the Colts were getting ready to leave on 83, 84. So that's, I, I always say, if it wasn't for Ernie, of course, having, you know, about worrying about a young kid. This is a man who was general manager of the Colts. Think about this, guys. If he's general manager of the Colts, I'm 22, 23 at the time. He offers me a job in February. He says, go through the 83 draft, the John Elway draft. And I got, I got that NFL security came down to the house, interviewed me. I'm all set. I'm all ready to go into the NFL. 20 at the time I was 22. And he said, just do the reports and you'll be done. Do the 83 draft report and be done with it. And then you come to work for me that summer. And he said, I'll introduce you to as working for me in probably like June, July, that summer, they traded John Elway without Ernie's knowledge. He called me up and said, I can't do this. I can't have you come in. I said, okay. I said, no, he said, cause I'm going to probably be leaving. I'm going to be out of here. The team's going to move. You're a Baltimore guy. They're moving maybe out of town. He said, you just, I said, what do you want me to do? He said, no, just keep doing what you're doing. You've got a great business going. You've got a great future in this business. People love what you're doing. Just keep no harm, no foul. Nobody knows you were ever coming to work here. Nobody would ever introduce you. Just keep doing what you're doing. If he would have let me come into the cold organization, then left, which he knew he was going to probably leave, I would have never, I got a call five months after that from ESPN to come up and interview. If I'd have taken that job, I would have never gotten that call after Bud Wilkinson retired to go take an interview for that job. I would have been probably out of the NFL, never been at ESPN, and who knows where I would have been. So Ernie, of course, worrying about and caring about a 22-year-old kid is the reason why I'm here today. 
And what was your first on-air draft for ESPN? First time you were on TV for the 84 ESPN. draft. And you were how old then? 23. I mean, I can't even imagine. 23, I'm a newspaper writer for the Rocky Mountain News. I'm a punk-nosed little kid who knows nothing. <laughs> and to think that you're on national TV, Mel, at that point. Is- with, with zero experience. Zero experience on TV. So what was that like? Scary, to be honest. <laughs> That's what it was like. I mean, uh, I, mean when I, when I, say that, I mean, I went up there. I, I can't say I was, it was scary to even be in a position. I remember sitting at a, I went up to interview and Todd, you're like, like Todd's chair right there. Where Todd's sitting, imagine sitting in the yeah. middle of a room in Bristol when it was one building in Bristol then, not like it is now a city within a city. It was, they put me in the middle of the room in a chair and they had seven people circling around me. I'm going like this and this and, and they're Tell me about the offensive line with the 49ers. Tell me about the secondary with the Steelers. Tell me about the front office with the Lions. And I was just answering these questions, rapid fire, boom, 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 for about an hour. Didn't know it. Went, flew back uh, in Bradley International, flew back from, uh, from the airport in Connecticut, back to Baltimore. Two weeks later, got a call from Bill Fitz, who produced it, to, to work that 84 draft. And that was the first year I'd ever – was, and I sat with Boomer. I remember there was Chris Berman and me at a desk, and Bob Lee was anchoring in Bristol. George Grand, Paul Zimmerman, and Howard Balls were anchoring at the main set in New York. They came to us at various times. And at the second round, by the second round after Boomer Esiason was taken, late second round, we left the draft, signed off, guys, signed off on the draft. I went to either a tractor pull or a speedboat race. And that was the end of the 84 draft. Like Boomer walked me down with Bob Lee, walked me down the steps in Bristol. I got the driver taking the airport, flew back to Baltimore while the 1984 draft was going on. Todd, could, Todd, could you have done on-air work for ESPN at the age of 23? I did at 27. I remember being just a scared. Wow. Guy. Yeah, just a scared. Wow, you guys are advanced. Yeah, I was, I was, I was young. I remember the first, the first draft that I did. I, I did a year at ESPNU in Charlotte. And then the next year I did um, the second and third round, I think it was, at Radio City Music Hall, I believe it was. And mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember starting to talk about Brian Hoyer in the third round. And I'm just a young kid, you know? I, I could barely tie my own tie at this point, it felt like. And I'm sitting there and I'm talking about Brian Hoyer. They should draft Brian Hoyer. And we get to like the sixth or seventh round. And there's, you know how it is back in the old days, there were like, maybe 500 people still remaining at the draft. And they decided to start to chant Brian Hoyer and point at me, <laughs> Brian Hoyer. <laughs> wow. And I felt like such an idiot because I said this guy should go in the third round. And I think, what did he go in the sixth or seventh, whenever it was. And that, that, I got my first taste of what, what it's like to just get, get absolutely bombarded by fans that are actually listening and paying attention to what you're saying. Incredible. Um, before I let you go, just take me ahead to the 2022 draft in Vegas. Todd, give me your top three or few prospects in that draft. Who are going to be the first names off the board in 2022 if you had to predict that right now? Piper's got a lot more names. The one guy I keep going back to is Thibodeau from Oregon. I think he's going to be a stud. I'm going to do my mock draft tomorrow morning. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to spend most of the day doing putting together my list and going looking forward. Kuiper just starts – Usually on day two, but I wasn't with him on day two this year. So day three, he starts in on me. What's your list? What's your top 10? Who are you guys going to be? What's your mock draft going to look like? I'm like, Mel, can we get through 2021 before we get to 2022? Mel, some of the top names in 2022? 
Kayvon Thibodeau, who was number one coming out of high school. Spencer Rattler could be the top quarterback from Oklahoma. DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M, a big defensive lineman. You know, we've all heard Derek Stingley Jr.'s name forever, a corner from LSU. Evan Neal, a right yeah. tackle at Alabama, will probably move the left tackle to take over for Alex Leatherwood. Darian Kennard is going to move from right tackle to left tackle to replace Landon Young at Kentucky. Drake Jackson, a great pass rusher, potentially at USC. Christian Harris, all-around linebacker at, at Alabama. Uh, Kair Elam, the corner from Florida. Nick Benito, linebacker from Oklahoma. Uh, Sam Howell, quarterback at North Carolina. Just some of the names that will be in Todd McShay's. Not too early. Mock 1.0 <laughs> for 2022. Not too early for you. Uh, I'm interested to see which that quarterback step up. I mean, every year it's, it seems like somebody new, right? Yeah. I mean, we – we didn't know that, that Zach Wilson was going to be ranked this high and be the number two overall pick. Kyler Murray was going to go play baseball a couple a few years ago, yeah. and he becomes the number one overall yeah. pick. You know, I mean – Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. We didn't, I mean, it was like every single year there's one to three quarterbacks that wind up going in the first round that when we're sitting here right now, we don't know about it, and it's understandable because these guys are, you know, playing a different sport. They haven't been a starter, whatever the, the situation. I mean, two guys that got drafted in the first round this year had 17 starts. Mac Jones had 17 starts at Alabama. You know, so a year ago, a year ago this time, he had just four starts, and one of them was in the Iron Bowl. He threw uh, two pick sixes in that game. So, and, and, um, mm-hmm. and, and then the other guy is Trey Lance, who had 17 starts, was playing at the FCS level. So you just – I don't want to say you never know, but there's. it seems like every year we got a guy or two that, that step up. Yeah, there's a kid, Tyler Shuck, who was at, at Oregon. Now he's a Texas Tech Todd, and yep. he's an interesting guy. And Herm Edwards has always been talking up uh, Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. JT Daniels was at USC, now at Georgia. Phil Jakovic was at Notre Dame, now Boston College. You got Carson Strong out at Nevada. So some, some quarterback, like Todd said, with Burrow and Mac Jones and that list, somebody will emerge uh, out of that group. But right now, it's great to see what we got all these defensive players, offensive tackles up at the top of the yep. board. And it'll be interesting. I call him the Rattler, like the Rizza. Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma always has. A, when has Lincoln Riley not had a quarterback up there or create a quarterback up near the top? And Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma will be the next guy in line. Well, Mel, Todd, I appreciate it. Mel, I hope you enjoy the pumpkin pie today. Dallas tonight at uh, or Friday night at nine o'clock. Johnny Carson. We give you a last look at South Fork. There's a last look at South Fork with Jock Ewing and Miss Ellie. You're one of a kind. Pamela, Pamela. Ewing. And which, which is your, which is your favorite Johnny? Lucy. Which is your favorite uh, Johnny Carson episode? Your favorite Tonight Show episode? Uh anything with Carnac. Really, Carnac the Magnificent. Yeah, anything Carnac. Oh, he was great. Johnny Carson. They said they said with the greatest one. Phenomenal entertainer. But they said one of the greatest things and one of his greatest accomplishments was the day he died, nobody in the country and anybody, anybody could tell you what his political affiliation was. Hmm. They had no idea. He was always what they called, you know, but nobody knew. He just kept it right down the middle. Nobody knew. And that was, uh, he was a phenomenal 1130 Eastern time every night. That's what I did. And then Dallas Friday nights at nine o'clock, there's South Fork Ranch. We'll you live a wild boy. You, know, <laughs> you know, it, before I let you go, I got to tell you something funny. Karnak. Every year, uh, I would talk with the Washington general manager, Bruce Allen, and uh, we, he'd call for draft opinions or free agent opinions, or whatever it may be. And so after a while, uh, and it started when I was in Denver and he was in Oakland, uh, I would give him information and he would start calling me Karnak. And that was the first time 
that I've heard that name in a long time. When you said Karnak, I was about to respond to you because that's what Bruce Allen always <laughs> called me for years. Karnak. Hey, Karnak, whenever I call him, there are certain names that you respond to. Karnak was his. And I, it was the first time I've heard it since Washington let go of Bruce Allen. So I thank you for keeping me on my toes and snapping me to attention. Well, that's at the side. Who was his sidekick? Who was, who was it? Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon sitting next to Johnny Carson all those years. Doc Severinsen uh, and the orchestra there, and then the uh, band leader, and then Todd and I, and you and Mort. You have a sidekick, <laughs> right? Without a sidekick, you got Well, I appreciate you guys being my sidekicks today. Thank you very much for the time, Mel. Todd, Mel, good luck with the wedding this summer. Todd, I hope you get some downtime. Always a pleasure to talk with you guys. I could do it forever. Thank you. And Mel, I would give you a $20 bill for your time today if I could, but I'll just say instead, have Kim give it to you. You're <laughs> the best, Chef. <laughs> Thank you, guys. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Mel Kuyper Jr. Not only is he a legend, but he is an entertaining guy. Talk about somebody set in his ways and somebody who knows what he likes. Dallas, The Late Show, Pumpkin Pie, Kim Kuyper Jr. What a great name that is, Kim Kuyper Jr. He doesn't need much more than that to survive in life. And he is a great man and he's a legend in this business. And we will always love Mel Kuyper. And thank you to Todd McShay as well. And how about this? Earlier this offseason in the days leading up to the draft, we had on Alabama running back Najee Harris. And during the course of that podcast, the thought occurred to me as we talked at length about where he could go in the draft and all the Zoom calls that he had taken, what team would be the perfect fit for Najee Harris? Let's roll it. I met him in person and on Zoom was the was the Steelers for sure, though. They Mike Tomlin. Yeah, but they had the whole staff there, like the GM. They had everybody there. Defense staff. They had everybody there. So, like, you know, they was chill. Mike Tomlin loves the draft process. I remember being at the owners' meetings a couple of times. He's sitting by the pool. He's got his draft guides out. He's reading up on the guys. He loves that. I'll, I'll bet you. Know, I could see you as a Pittsburgh Steeler, Najee. I could see you as a Steeler. It's not my decision at the end of the day. I'm, <laughs> I'm, like I said, I'm just ready to see who I set up shop at. You know, I don't make the decisions. The only thing I control is how I practice, how I play, how I train. Listen, you know my, probably more stuff about me than about, about stuff. I, I'm clueless right now. And so what happens? Sure enough, with the 24th overall pick 
In the first round, the Pittsburgh Steelers select Alabama running back Najee Harris. He's going to fit in great there. And it was amazing that there were so many mock drafts that had Najee Harris going to the Steelers at number 24. How does that happen that so many people could be right about one pick so late in the draft? But if there was ever a Steeler in round one, Najee Harris certainly looks like he fits the bill and will fit in perfectly in Pittsburgh. And one of the opponents that he'll play twice a year will be Cleveland. I want to say this about the city of Cleveland and hosting the draft this past week. It was so important to the people in Cleveland to make that draft a rousing success and to make sure that everybody that came in from all over the country had a great and enjoyable time. Whether it was at the hotel we stayed at downtown, the Hyatt, whether it was at any restaurant that we ate at outside, which was two meals, Tuesday night at Fahrenheit, Saturday night at the Marble Room. The people there took such pride in putting on that draft that I personally wanted to thank the people of Cleveland for doing an outstanding job. The weather gods did not cooperate. I know on Friday night, there was a picture of me wrapped up in blankets with the producers fonting my picture on the screen, freezing my butt off, that it was 50 degrees in Cleveland. Let me say this, okay? If it was 50 degrees in Cleveland, I'm seven foot. There's no chance it was 50 degrees in Cleveland. We were on a roof. The winds were blowing through there. I was outside for eight straight hours. It was brutal beyond words. 50 degrees, no chance. But beyond the weather, the people of Cleveland deserve an A. Loved the city, loved the way they all handled it. And I love my downtown little coffee spot, Rebel, where they had the greatest acai bowl that I ever tasted. That was outstanding. That is some kind of breakfast delicacy. Wow. Anytime I am back in Cleveland, I will be going to Rebel in the morning for that acai bowl. This is not a paid endorsement. This is a fact. I love finding great food on the road. And I tip my cap to Rebel, the great acai bowl breakfast place. I want to thank Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting together this podcast. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. And we'll be back in this spot next week, as we'll be back every week during the offseason with more guests, more information, more insights. And until then, have a great week, everybody. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.